Great, thank you. Isn't it good to pray for the, our persecuted brothers and sisters um, in the way that we did? Thanks, uh, Elvin. Uh, we're turning to Matthew chapter 16 and the first 12 verses. Uh, Elvin has prayed for us that the Lord would bring his truth to bear uh, amidst all the delusions. That's why we turn to the scriptures. Uh, Matthew 16, it's on page 983. <clears throat> uh, there is a sermon outline uh, around, if that helps you. If it doesn't, just uh, turn it over and have a blank sheet of paper or just listen, whatever you prefer. Uh, sometimes when we come to the scriptures, uh, they're just unbelievable. Uh, and there are two instances of things that are just incredible to us when we read them. I don't know if you spotted them uh, this morning as Fraser read to us, but there's two in our passage. You read it and you just think, that's unbelievable that that's how things should have panned out. It's partly the, just the, um, the strangeness of Jesus. He's the man from heaven. Fully one of us, but the eternal Son of God. So not everything is just suddenly going to ring true and be obvious and clear. And sometimes it's just the <laughs> that we think we do so much better than the people who actually saw Jesus. And they're the kind that we get today. We'll go straight in with the first group. <clears throat> it's just unbelievable, verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, given what has been happening in Matthew's Gospel, to test Jesus this way seems completely ridiculous. <clears throat> you might want to say to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, have you not been looking at what has been happening? Just in the last two chapters, you've seen 5,000 people fed miraculously. Endless healings of lame, crippled, blind, dumb, and more. And then, in case you missed the first one, another miraculous feeding of 4,000 people. All this has been in the open, it's been in public, it's not the kind of thing you can keep a lid on. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees say, we want to see a sign from heaven. Another one? How many are you going to need? What does Jesus have to do to pass your test? Unbelievable. On the other hand... There's nothing at all surprising about the Pharisees and the Sadducees putting Jesus to the test. Because they're just, they're, all they're doing is behaving like Israel have always behaved in the Bible so far. The people of Israel, you will remember, have been miraculously fed in solitary places in the wilderness before. 
we've seen as we've gone through these last couple of chapters. The similarities between the feeding miracles of Jesus and the manna in the wilderness at the time of the Exodus with Moses. And when they were fed before, what did they do? They tested and tried God. That's what Israel does. When Israel gets miraculously fed, it decides to test the God who miraculously fed them. And exactly the same is happening again here. It's nothing new. There is a hardness of heart towards clear signs from heaven. Here's Psalm 95 commenting on those first Exodus wonderings. Do not harden your hearts as you did back then at Meribah and at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. The Psalm's calling for the people of God not to make the same mistake again. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees do. They'd seen it all, it was public. And they tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Well, Jesus answers them and commends them in the first part of his answer for their skill, ironically, at looking up to the heavens. The sky, it's translated. But it's looking up to the heavens, and they're skilled at this. They can work out what's happening when it comes to the colour of the sky and what the weather is going to be like. But... Verse 3, you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees actually need to bring their eyes down. From looking at the clouds and the sun and working out the weather, they need to bring their eyes down from the sky and look at what, or rather who, is right in front of them. And they don't need any other sign than Jesus and his miracles. You can't interpret the signs of the times. You can't see what's right in front of your eyes. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for another sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. A generation that looks for a sign on top of Jesus, or what he's already done. Jesus describes as wicked and adulterous. Wicked because it refuses to see the good that is standing right in front of them. Adulterous because it's looking for another husband, if you like. Looking for someone else. Even though Jesus has faithfully come, loved, healed, fed, he still hasn't passed their test. So they're looking for another. They want to show that he is not the one. Wicked, can't see the good in front of them. Adulterous, looking for someone else. And so they will get just one more sign, Jesus says. The sign of Jonah. 
Now, interestingly, from this point on, the Pharisees and the Sadducees completely disappear from Matthew's gospel. They've popped up a bit uh, along the way to chapter 16, but they completely disappear until five days before Jesus' death. Five days before his crucifixion. And that will be the only other sign that they will see. And we understand why it's called the sign of Jonah, don't we? Because as Jonah was three days in the fish, practically dead, he came up out of the fish on the third day. And so Jesus would be three days dead, truly dead, and rise up out of the grave on the third day. The resurrection from the dead of the Lord Jesus is always the sign that ends all signs. It trumps all the other signs. It's the sign. If you want a sign, that is the greatest one you'll ever have. And they'll see it. They'll see his death and they'll hear the proclamation of his resurrection. It's the only sign they will be given, Jesus says. But there is a little bit more to the sign of Jonah than that. What happened after Jonah came up out of the fish? Well, we know, don't we? That he took the message and he preached it, but he didn't go to hard-hearted testing Israel. Jonah went to Nineveh, to one of the nations, to the enemies of God's people, in fact. And that's what, exactly what happens after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Just as it happened in Jonah's day, as the Lord Jesus rises from the dead, Israel will reject the gospel with a hard heart and it will go to the Gentiles and to the nations. Jesus says more about that in chapter 24 of Matthew's Gospels. He gives us more details about how that works and, and plays out. But here, Jesus acts it out for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. See the end of verse 4? The only sign you'll get is the sign of Jonah. Someone will die and rise again and go somewhere else. Jesus left them and went away. It's a bit of a strange little sentence, isn't it? Jesus left and left, is what it says. That's the point. And they go across the sea. It's worth asking ourselves if we're like the Pharisees and Sadducees in some way. Because this feels like a warning, doesn't it? What does Jesus have to do to pass your test so that you will really wholeheartedly, completely follow him? Peter's about to do that and Jesus is going to explain that in the next part of the chapter. What does Jesus have to do to pass your test? What do you think you might be saying uh, if, if, we, if we might say to God, some, if we might say to God, give me a sign. Just do something that will show me Something once for all that will convince me. What are we saying if we're still saying that? 
You'll have met people, uh, you might be one of them, where enough is never quite enough to convince you, to convince them about the Lord Jesus. But there is a warning here for us if we're ever like that. We have three full years of too many signs from heaven to count when we read the Gospels. Too many to count. Um, John says there aren't enough, there couldn't be enough books in the world to record them all. Three full years of too many signs from heaven to count, predicted by the prophets beforehand and revealed in Jesus on earth. And at the end of those three full years of signs, we get the sign. The death of the one from heaven and his resurrection. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus on the third day. Do you see what we're doing? <laughs> if we ask for another sign, we're saying somehow, all that's great, but it's not enough. That's pretty much an insult to Jesus to seek another sign beyond all that he has already given to us especially to call for something beyond the sign which saw him sacrifice himself to death for us what more do you want him to give as he rises triumphant for us for some enough seems never to be enough but enough is enough for anyone who is willing to see the signs an evil and adulterous generation can't see the good that's right in front of them Here's the good that's right in front of us. Three years of it and resurrection from the dead. An evil and adulterous generation can't see the good in front of them and looks for another. The warning remains, doesn't it? For people like that. Maybe we're a bit like that. For people who won't see See, the gospel will soon depart. Jesus then left them and went away. Do not harden your hearts, the psalmist says. You've seen what I did over those three years and in my resurrection. Interpret the times rightly. So if you're looking for reassurance about the Lord Jesus, go and read those three years of his life in the Gospels. See what he did. Read all four accounts of the resurrection. But let's not test Jesus. So you've got to do something else 
for me, really, to come on side. Because he may go away. Well, verse 5, Jesus is back with his disciples. Uh, they've seen everybody, everything everybody else has seen. They've seen all the, all the miracles and so on, the bread and the healings and all that. But they've actually seen more because they got to see the walking on the water. And they also got to see the healing of the Canaanite's woman, uh, the, the healing of the Canaanite woman's daughter uh, who was demon-possessed. But to be honest, they don't see things any more clearly than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They, get there, they cross the lake, they've forgotten the bread, and Jesus says to them, verse 6, be careful, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So they have a quick discussion about this as a group of disciples, and they come to an amazing deduction, verse 7, it's because we didn't bring any bread. I don't, I don't know if you sort of read that. And just, I mean, it's one, I think it's one of the... I've laughed about that so many times this week. It just seems... I have no idea what connections the disciples were making in their heads when they, when, if it, when they did that. But they're agreed, and they've all worked it out together. So it's something along the lines of Okay, we've forgotten the bread. We should have remembered bread. That would be a good thing to do. But if we do remember bread, we mustn't go to Pharisee and Sadducee Bakeries Limited in order to get it. That seems to be how far they've got. I mean, I can't make sense of it. But that's the point. Jesus enters into the discussion in verse 8, having heard their discussion. And three things become clear through what Jesus says up to verse 12, the end of our passage. The first thing is that the disciples do want to understand Jesus. That's why Jesus says, O you of little faith. They do want to understand Jesus. So to that extent, they are trusting Jesus even if their response is clueless, they are of little faith. They want to understand Jesus. That's what distinguishes them from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the disciples, are all blind to what the signs mean. But the Pharisees are testing in order to reject. The disciples are confused and want to understand. The disciples want to understand Jesus. Uh, It's worth noting uh, that even when a group of people who want to understand Jesus get together and they think and they talk and discuss and they decide, uh, they can still get it wrong. That's what happens here. They have their little home group in verse 7. They discuss this among themselves. But they do get it wrong. You might be thinking of your home group as you sit around and have some difficult question from the Bible and you come up with some unerring answer that you know must be right. Well, it might not be right just because you've all agreed or even because you all want to understand Jesus. 
It's difficult in our context not to think of General Synod as a group of people who generally want to understand Jesus. And they talk together and think together and they vote. But they could be wrong. Um, I dug this out of the Book of Common Prayer. These are the, this is Article 21 of the Founding 39 of the Church of England. You don't need to read all of it, but it, it recognises... They're talking about councils, gatherings. When they be gathered together, underlined bits, they may err, and sometimes have erred, even in things pertaining to God. Even when well-meaning Christians get together because they want to understand Jesus better, it doesn't always work. Just because a synod or a home group decides something, it doesn't mean it's true. And just because we can find some group somewhere on the internet that agrees with us, doesn't mean that that's true. It is important that we want to understand Jesus. But the second thing that's evident here is that the disciples can't understand Jesus without Jesus' help. See, it's only after Jesus speaks into their discussion that they finally see, as you see in verse 12, then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the disciples want to understand Jesus, but they can't understand Jesus without Jesus' help. They need help to see that Jesus isn't talking about bread. And in lots of ways, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious. You know, Jesus says, right, there were five loaves, 5,000 people, And there were 12 baskets left over. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I know sometimes I should eat less than I I do, but five loaves between 5,000 people and 12 baskets left over, there's something else happening here. Or seven loaves for 4,000 and seven baskets left over. There is more... What what we're supposed to... You're supposed to register... (laughs) when there's more going on with Jesus than just something about bread, isn't there? When you see those numbers that make no sense without some kind of miracle from heaven worked through this man. But the disciples are still back there, aren't they, originally? Be on your guard against the yeast. Oh, it's because we forgot the bread. Don't you remember the five loaves and the 5,000 how many basketfuls you gathered? Don't you remember the seven loaves and the 4,000 how many baskets you remembered? I was not talking to you about bread. It's about him. To be honest, the last thing you'd be worried about, given the previous two feeding miracles, is the fact that you'd forgotten some bread. Isn't it? Jesus helps them 
to understand. And here's the encouragement for anyone who wants to understand Jesus. That wanting to understand him will be rewarded. You might have little faith now. You might be confused and unsure about all sorts of things. Things that Jesus said and did. Other things that you've, written, uh, that you've read in the scriptures. You might have little faith now. But if you want to understand more, you will be rewarded for that. To put it another way, your faith will grow bigger and stronger the more you let Jesus explain himself to you. That's what the disciples experience. Jesus explaining himself to them. And so their faith grows. Well, we live in a different time. Jesus isn't standing in front of us in the same way. But if you want to, you know, there's all sorts of interesting definitions of the Bible. But a useful definition of the Bible is the Bible is Jesus explaining himself to us. It was written by his spirit. The prophets wrote the Old Testament by the spirit of Christ. This is Jesus explaining himself to us in the Bible. We share the same spirit that inspired the writing of the scriptures. So the spirit who explains, the spirit who is sent from Jesus who wants to explain himself to us is the same spirit who works in our hearts to open our eyes to see. If you want to understand, you will be rewarded. Here's Psalm 1. We're going to sing a version of Psalm 1 after, uh, after I've finished. But blessed is the one who doesn't do those things, but in the middle there, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night. Then the next bit. This is growing, living faith. Fruit born in this person. It's growth and life and health and fruit. You see how living and active the message of Christ is that that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Two questions then. If you, uh, do you want to understand Jesus more than you do? Do you find him intriguing? Do you find him puzzling? Do you find he sometimes confuses you? Do you find sometimes it just doesn't make sense? What do you do with that? Do you say, give me a sign to convince me? Or do you seek Jesus' help, the scriptures he's written to explain himself to us so that we might understand him? If you want to understand Jesus and grow in faith, everything is there for us to grow and grow 
and grow. We have Jesus explaining himself to us. We have the Spirit. So if you feel like you're not growing at the moment, why might that be? There could be all sorts of reasons. It's not a lack of resources that God has provided for us. Can't be that. Maybe you're not putting yourself in enough contexts to have the space in mind and to prayerfully consider what Jesus has taught. That could be on your own or with other people. On Sundays, in home groups, in your own time. Well, if you do need more contexts in order to understand Jesus better, where those conversations can be had prayerfully, wanting to be understood, wanting to understand Jesus better, what do you need to do to put those in place so that you'll have more than that, so you won't feel like you're not growing? Which brings us to the final thing in the passage. Uh, teaching that refuses Jesus' help is also active, uh, but it's also deadly. Verse 12, Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, by speaking of yeast, a strictly leaven, uh, which is not quite the same thing. You can ask me about that afterwards if you want. Um, Jesus has set up a contrast because he's already spoken about the kingdom of heaven in these terms. Back in chapter 13, he told them this, another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Here you have, in this, this parable, this picture, this illustration of yeast being used, you have the truth and life of God at work. As the teaching of Jesus is taken on board, so it is living and active, growing and permeating. It's not static. It can't be kept under. It can't be boxed off as something separate. That's what Jesus means by yeast. That's what the disciples are experiencing with Jesus' help, they keep getting more and more from him, growing in faith and understanding. And as they get more, they want more. That's the disciples' experience. But the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is also yeast. It's also leaven. That is, it is also active. And it will work through all the day. See, false teaching, teaching that puts Jesus to the test, teaching that refuses Jesus' help, teaching that refuses to listen to what Jesus teaches. The very first time we meet the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, it's back in with John the Baptist in chapter 3 in Matthew's Gospel, they have no fruit in keeping with repentance. So this yeast is not static either. 
False teaching cannot simply be ignored as though it will harmlessly go away because you can't box it in and expect it to have no wider effect. The Apostle Paul will speak of it as gangrene. Well, sometimes because of gangrene, you have to chop limbs off so it cannot spread. And Jesus says the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that is yeast. See the contrast? The teaching of Jesus is life, it's living and active. False teaching is active but deadly. And so as Psalm 1 said, blessed is the one who does not walk, stand or sit in false teaching, but rather his delight is having Jesus explain Jesus to him night and day in his law. The only safe place to be is to be like a disciple. See what Jesus is doing and saying. Be clueless and confused by what it all means. And let Jesus help you understand it by his spirit through his word. That's discipleship. It's why the most important thing that we will do at Holiday Club this week, the most important thing about Holiday Club is what we teach. We can do all sorts of great other things, but the most important thing is what we teach, because that is life or death. Let's be like disciples. Let's see what Jesus did and said. Let's recognise how clueless and confused we are most of the time when we come across that. And let's let Jesus help us understand Jesus by his spirit, through his word, together. It's what we're doing now. It's what we do in small groups. It's what we can do on our own in our own prayerful corner. You could even start it over coffee and say, well, Jesus said that and Paul said that and I'm just really confused. Well, that's the disciples' experience. Let's open our Bibles and let Jesus teach us about Jesus. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is a full and complete revelation from heaven in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing more to be said from heaven than you have said in the Lord Jesus. Particularly those three years and the de his death and resurrection. Father, we confess that we are slow and dull and we don't see things and we get confused and it doesn't all make sense. But we know, Heavenly Father, that the Lord Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And so we pray 
that you would help us by your spirit to understand your son better. Thank you that the scriptures are Jesus speaking to us about himself. Open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts by your spirit more and more. So that, Father, we might say, yes, we are of little faith, but we want to grow. And we thank you that you always reward those who ask and knock and seek. Father, hear our prayer and do this work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.